Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of 18 in Life, the Pac-12 Hoops podcast. We uh, took a couple weeks off there, mostly my fault for, for not being available and being tired. There was and, snow. I know, and snow. We had snow apocalypse and snow, snow ice apocalypse or whatever it was. I mean, we had. I'm. I've never. I mean, you have you lived here your whole life, Seth? Uh, pretty. I mean, I had some time in New York, but mostly. Okay, me, me too, except for my my four years in Pullman. So for those of you, those of you listeners that don't know, Seth and I both live in the Seattle area, and so, um, you know, we had this huge snowstorm a couple weeks ago, and uh, yeah, I've never seen anything like that. It wasn't just the snow; it was the snow and then ice, freezing rain on top of the snow, and then more snow, and then more freezing rain on top of the ice and snow and ice, and it was just uh, it was crazy. We had a we had a giant tree outside our house break and fall down on our shed and yeah it was pretty wild so which so, yeah. of course happened during the huskies biggest you know home game of the year probably against cal of course and, uh just because god hates us and um i don't know actually the crowd did turn out to be mostly a pretty pretty big crowd and uh the huskies lost by three i think it was but uh if they'd had only 10 more people or 15 more people who knows they might have hit an extra shot yeah that might have made the difference on overtime and won the game you know, so. being being the tortured Cougar fan that I am as well, those two Cougar games against Cal and Stanford were both webcast only, and my internet was out both days. Uh. Yes, and so um, did not get to see the two like games that they actually played well, and then I had to watch the atrocities of uh, losing to Arizona and Arizona State this weekend, which was. Uh, yeah, not very fun for this Cougar fan, but we've reached the halfway point in the Pac-12, and so Seth and I figured we could kind of maybe take stock of where the conference is halfway through, uh, take a look at just kind of where where everybody stands and, and uh, take a look at maybe some of the data that's out there that, that might suggest how this thing might play out during the stra- down the stretch. So as we look at the standings right now, California and Washington sit atop the standings, the uh, the difference in their, their seasons being that game that Seth just referenced where um, Cal went. Up to uh, went up to Heckhead and and beat the Huskies and uh, I don't know Seth do you have a do you have a feeling about kind of uh, you know Cal and Washington and and, and I'm going to talk a little bit about why I think Washington you know might be a little bit of a paper tiger but might not uh, you know as a, as a, as a fan as you look at those two teams you know how do you feel about where their seasons are heading and which one might have sort of the inside track heading down the stretch? Well, I mean, I remain. So unimpressed by Cal. I mean, I think they they they're they just they're a veteran team. They just play really well together. There's you know there's nothing spectacular about them, but they just they're they just uh, you know they don't screw up. They play really really. I mean, they just shut Stanford down for like 15 minutes the other night. Gutierrez especially put such pressure on the perimeter and um, and but the Huskies you know, the Huskies have more talent they have more guys that are not stoppable on offense um and uh and i think and they seem to the past few years have improved as the season gone on and it makes sense that they would do so again this year with you know their top player being a true freshman um the one thing that kind of throws me off is the fact that the top four teams in the conference have all had five home games versus four road games um and you know that'll even up in the uh, in the second half of the season, where they'll have five road games and four home games, and that 
um, is going to make a difference. Yeah. It, one of the things I like to do is uh, I kind of ripped it not, – not really ripped it off, but I kind of stole it from – maybe that's ripping off. I don't know. Same thing, I guess. Uh, John Gassaway, Basketball Prospectus, a uh, guy that we actually had on the podcast I think like two years ago. But anyway, he, uh, he does a thing on Tuesdays called Tuesday Truths, and what he does, he goes through each of the conferences and, and orders them by efficiency margin in conference games. So in other words, he looks at points scored per possession, points given up per possession, looks at the difference between the two and sort of ranks the teams and tries to look at, you know, maybe who who might be a little overvalued or undervalued at a certain point and and you can kind of compare their how they look in in this efficiency margin ranking with what their record is and and uh you know one of the interesting things i find is that is that cal and by the way it's it's kind of this is the first point he does it pretty much after a couple weeks into the conference season, I like to wait until about halfway through once kind of everybody's played everybody so that at that point, then you can kind of get a good sense of, you know, you have a decent enough sample size. You can get a sense of how, how the teams are doing. And Cal, Cal is, is, is on top of the conference, which is no, no huge surprise. Their efficiency margin, I believe is plus 0.12. Um, but next in line is Arizona and UCLA, both at 0.11. Washington is all the way down, I believe it at Fifth at point, uh, plus 0.02, which is sort of interesting to me because you know that that suggests that perhaps they've been able to outplay a little bit what what their performance has been. You know they had they had they've had some bad losses and won some close games and things like that. And and so you know including in Arizona, then they won two very close games, both at uh, at Arizona State and at Arizona. So um, you know that's interesting to me. But I but I kind of struggled. So that would initially suggest you know oh Washington might be overvalued or overrated at seven and two and that there might be you know something of a correction coming that that they may not finish that strong but at the same time I kind of you know you look at the the history of Washington teams and they always seem to get better as the season goes on and that's kind of a that's kind of a trademark of a Lorenzo Romar coach team is that they they improve and they they play their best basketball at the end of the season um, you know I think I think there's something to be said for that here especially since you know they were playing without the guy who you know, could ostensibly be considered their second or third best player in C.J. Wilcox for quite a while, and now he's back bringing sort of an added dimension and taking some pressure off of Terrence Ross and Tony Roten. Um, yeah, I mean, he's, he, he's, he's, he's back, but he's not well, um, and that's going to be a big thing to watch the rest of the season. He's, I guess he's not going to practice at all this week, um, which is something Romar did occasionally with Brandon Roy when he was uh, dealing with his many knee problems at Washington, um, and he hasn't. Uh, and he he doesn't look great out there, but he's hit really some really big shots um, and made some really big plays against Arizona. He uh, he brought the ball up court for what was looking like going to be the Huskies, like a possession to try to win the game, and he was able to kind of. Deke, uh, Arizona, one of the Arizona players into, into fouling him and made two free throws and ended up winning the game. Um, he's a really, he's a solid player. So, um, uh, but yeah, his injury will be interesting to watch. Yeah, and as and I need do need to correct myself a little bit here. I'm now looking at this chart. I couldn't quite pull it up fast enough. But Cal's at plus point one four, uh, Arizona at plus point one two, uh, UCLA at plus point one one. Now that is a team that we sort of, you know, took the task early in the year. People remember their season opening loss to Loyola Marymount, and that they struggled, and Reeves Nelson getting kicked off the team and suspended, and Josh Smith is out of shape, and blah 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 blah, and and now 
Here's UCLA. Now they are only five and four, but they are their margin is plus point one one, and they have pretty much hands down the best offense in the conference, which is kind of strange and not was not totally expected. In fact, they've they've flown up to you can look at it one of two ways. You can either look at just their uh, offensive efficiency in conference, which is one point one one, a full point oh two better than anybody else. Cal's second, um, and then. You can also look at their adjusted efficiency margin at Pomeroy, which is, you know, adjusts for opponent. They're also the highest ranked offensive team in the conference, and they've actually scored above 1.2 points per possession three of the last four games, which is really impressive, um, especially in this conference, which features some pretty decent defensive teams. Uh, what do you make of the Bruins? Do you, do you, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, it seems like they've kind of snuck up on us, you know? Yeah, they have. I mean, I think, you know, I, I think it, you know, it may have to just be law of averages. I mean, they shot so poorly. They looked so bad early in the year. I mean, they're shooting, in conference games, they're shooting 44% from three-point range. I find it hard to believe that's going to continue. Uh-huh. Um, and they're also leading the field goal percentage of shooting 50%. And that seems a little, well, that also does not seem likely to continue. But, you know, they are getting, um, uh, which one of the Ware twins, which Ware twin is it? Is it Travis? I guess it's David Ware. Well, maybe Travis is more the inside player, but those guys are, you know, tall and able to get inside and get easy shots usually off whoever's guarding them. So, um, so their 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 shooting percentage is so high. I I I wonder how how sustainable that is. Forty four percent from three point range sounds seems a little much to me. Yeah, I know it definitely is, and you know, especially when you're you know your D one average is. 34% and but they are shooting you know 38% as a team on the year so it's not like they were necessarily a terrible you know a terrible team before this this, this sort of recent hot streak and then and then the other the other indicator i would say that that bodes well for them is that they uh you know they do have they do shoot 52% on twos which is excellent for a team and that's second in the pack 12 so um yeah. so you know i mean there's there is i think something sustainable there uh, obviously shooting 44% from 3 in the second half would be um you know if they were somehow able to do that that would be rather remarkable but um you know, it's I don't know. It's it's interesting to me. I mean, they've got uh, you know they they've got a big weekend coming up here. You know, they've got to come up to Washington and play the Huskies, which you know they sort of they sort of staked out their territory a little bit by by whooping up on Colorado on Saturday, which is uh, which you know to be I'll say to be honest to me was a little unexpected. Um, but you know, Colorado has been a team, you know, a young team like like a lot of teams in the conference, not played very well on the road for the most part, and. Uh, you know, didn't didn't play real well at UCLA. The game was close until halftime, uh, almost halftime, and then UCLA went went on a run, and then and then the game wasn't really close uh, after that. I don't think uh, I think the closest Colorado got was about six early in the second half, and then UCLA just kind of ran away from them. So, you know, I don't know. It's uh, you know, there's I, I'm, I'm sort of eternally skeptical about the Bruins, but at the same time, <laughs> it's you know, it's, it's hard to. Uh, it's hard to argue with the results. They've got five home games in the second half, which is uh, something that that they, um, you know, is, is certainly an advantage for them. They finish against uh, Washington State and Washington. So even if they lose this game to Washington and somehow are able to put together another streak, um, you know, they play Cal at home. 
Um, they play Arizona on the road, so that might be a little bit of a tough game. They, they have a, a road non-conference game against St. John's, which, you know, it's just, it's kind of, I, I guess, you know, when we start thinking about teams that may or may not be able to earn at large bids, you, you know, I kind of say UCLA might be one that could do that because, you know, yeah, they've got, what is it, nine losses, you know, they're 12 and nine, but five Eesh. of, but five of those nine came in the first seven games. You know, they've only lost four out of their last whatever it was, you know, like 14 games or, yeah. you know, so it's, you know, if they can kind of go on a streak here, they've got a showcase game against St. John's, which I think most, I think most people understand St. John's isn't very good, but it's still St. John's. It's still a, a national game. It's still a New York game. It's in Madison Square Garden. Um you know, I don't know. UCLA strikes me as the kind of team that simply because of their pedigree and the way the schedule sets up down the stretch, um, you know, if they can win a bunch of games, that, that that could catch the eye of the committee, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, if they win a bunch of games, but their RPI is like 134. Uh, I don't – I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, how many games do you think they have to win of those, you know, of those eight you know, they, they kind of, maybe it's sort of a similar situation to what the Huskies had and whenever that first year they went to the tournament under Romar where they started out really, really poorly, I think 0-5 and in Pac-10 play and then stormed through the conference. But at that time, the conference was better. Yeah. They had a chance to beat Stanford, which was who was number one in the nation and undefeated, which opened eyes. I don't see, I mean, who who on the schedule is anyone in the, you know, NCAA tournament committee even going to hear about UCLA beating? The best team on the, probably the best team is, well, I guess Stanford or Cal, if they beat them at home, but that's not going to really. I mean, right. yeah, if they if they win all the games, but I would think they would have to at least win or only lose one of these to 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 feel like you know pretty good about an at large berth. Yeah. I think they're they're probably in that they've got to win the tournament. Yeah, in region. I think pretty much. I mean, reasonably saying, I think they probably have to win the tournament. I think other than. Cal, Washington, and Stanford, I would say, are probably the only teams in the conference that can can reasonably, you know, secure an at-large berth, I would think, yeah. in the second half of the season. Well, I guess what I'm – I mean, I guess what I'm driving at is it wouldn't completely – you know, shock me off of my chair if, if, I, if I saw UCLA go, you know, say, you know, eight and one – yeah. Down, down the stretch here or whatever. I just, I don't it know. Make my chair it's, wobble. I don't know if I would actually fall off the I chair. Mean, definitely get going a little bit. I just look at the way their schedule sets up. I know, you know, yeah. like I said, you know, winning at Washington's going to be hard. Um, but Pomeroy's got that as as a coin flip, which I think is I think is you know fairly reasonable, especially with. Uh, you know, the struggles that, that Washington tends to have in the interior. And then, you know, they get, like I said, Stanford Cal at home. They got USC at home. They travel to St. John's. They do have to travel to Arizona State and then Arizona on uh, February 25th and then home against Washington State and Washington. So, I, you know, I don't know. It's uh, it just it would not shock me if they totally went on a run. And, and you know, it's, it's funny how perceptions change because I think, you know, if, if this was three years ago, we'd be like, well, they've got. Ben Howland and you know this is UCLA and you know but obviously they've had a bit of a rough go of it another team that I think you know perhaps is is a bit undervalued and may make a push and this is I to be honest is, is kind of my dark horse candidate uh, for the second half of the season and that's Arizona that's a team that's uh, currently five and four in the conference but has a plus 0.11 margin uh, good for tied for third with UCLA in the conference or sorry 0.12 my bad 0.12 second in the conference um, 
yeah, they feature what I think is – I don't know if hands down is the right word, but um, I, I think they are the best defense in the conference. They certainly are the best-looking defense after what I saw, what they did to the Cougs. And uh, you know, even without Parham, do you think they have a legitimate shot of, of kind of maybe making a push for the title at all? I mean I know they're starting out two games behind <laughs> Cal and Washington to start the second half after already losing to Washington at home. But you know, could they – could you think they could surprise? I mean, you know, I, I think they're, again, they, they might fall in the category of one of those teams that could get better as the year goes on just because we have seen Josiah Turner get a little bit better to the year. Although it seems like Nick Johnson is kind of, I don't know, he didn't make much of an impact against the Huskies, um, at least from what I saw. So, you know, I would love to see from them as Solomon Hill start to kind of take over. And maybe with Paramount, it'll give him, you know, he had 28 points against Washington. He was 9 for 10 from the field which to me kind of says maybe you should shoot 20 times. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he would get the ball out of the wing and pull his defender out, and, he's, and, he, and he was, you know, could get into the lane um, pretty easily. Uh, and he's, you know, he's such a mismatch. I mean, he could, he could start to kind of be that player that Quincy Pondexter was a couple of years ago in the second half of the season where he kind of realized, wait, no one in this league can guard me. Um, and I think if, if you know if he kind of took more control, um, I, I could see I could see them. But you know, losing Parham is rough. Uh, uh, Sean Miller was saying you know when he was hurt before just before that game that he's like a really big key to their season. And you know they did, you know he brings his his defensive intensity is, is good. You know he's another shooter, um, which they don't have a lot of. So um, that's a that's a pretty big hit. Right. And, you know, he was really starting to round into form, which is, you know, it just, he's just, he's, he's got to be the leader of life in fair club. You know, it's just, you know, it has been a rough, like, like six to 12 months for that dude, man. He, yeah. uh, you know, and I don't mean to laugh cause it's really not funny at all. I mean, he's, um, I, I believe his grandmother died, his mother died, he was shot in the leg and now he broke his foot. And that's that. <laughs> so, not, not solid. no, it's not good at all. So, uh, you know, it is a bummer. But, but I'll, I will say this: if there's anything that that um, is pretty cool about it, is that that he has been able to maintain such an incredible attitude, just at least from afar. You know, yeah. the things that he's saying to the media, um, and the things that that I hear from people that are sort of near that program is that, um, you know, he's just a good kid who he, who uh, you know has just had kind of a terrible set of circumstances happen and. And uh, he's been able to sort of overlook that and, and realize that, hey, I'm still alive and, and so we're all cool. And, and I know that Arizona has talked about petitioning for another year for him, which would be uh, which would be great. So I hope that works out. hope that works out for them. I would like to, uh, as we're talking about these teams that might come back in the second half, I would like to keep drumming on the Oregon State uh, bandwagon. That makes no sense. It's such a mixed metaphor. I have no <laughs> idea what I'm trying to say. But I did pick Oregon State before the year to yes. win the conference because I felt like they hadn't won the conference in a long time and maybe their luck was due to change and yada, yada, yada. And then they go out and lose a four-overtime game and then another overtime game and start the conference after you know losing two games to Washington and start the conference season one and five, which bad. But since then... They've won three in a row, beating UCLA, USC, and then at Oregon on Sunday, um, where they came back. They were down, I don't know, six, about 13 minutes to go. And now their schedule sets up, you know, pretty nicely. They have at Colorado and at Utah, 
um, which I think that at Colorado game is kind of be the season breaker for them. If they can, if they, if they can win that game, you figure they'll beat Utah. Then they have two road games left at Stanford and Cal, and the rest of the games are home games, Washington, Washington State, Oregon, and then Utah and Colorado again, who should be beatable. So I think they're setting up pretty well, and they're starting to, you know, they had against uh, Oregon, they're down six, and Robinson puts them back into the 1-3-1, which was their sort of defense, their 100% defense for most of his tenure. They went back mostly to man this year, but he does the 1-3-1 with Eric Moreland at the point who is 6'11", with ginormous wingspan, and really athletic. So, you know, he's running all over the court, and he's, his wingspan is so large, he practically can cover, like, half the court just by standing at an angle with his arms out. It's mental. Right. So he started creating all these turnovers, and Cunningham started to go off, and they were able to fend Oregon off barely because uh, DeVoe Joseph was hitting everything. But they were able to win that game, and um, and you know they had two overtime losses and some other you know kind of close losses. So uh, four and five, that's tough because they're three games back. But um, they do play Washington and Cal, so they have a chance to make it up. Yeah, and as a counter to your optimism, I remain incredibly <laughs> skeptic, skeptical about, about Arizona State. You Oregon just don't State. like offense. I know. You know, no, it's, here's the thing. Like, it, <laughs> I do like offense. I love offense. Um, but I also understand that you need defense, which is something mm. as a, as a Cougar fan, I understand all too well, both on both ends of the spectrum, both with, uh, watching the Cougs play such good defense over the, the six years that they played under the Bennett's and then watching them absolutely play the most horrific defense I might have ever seen this year. They are actually allowing a conference worst 1.13 points per possession, which is a full uh, 0.04 points per possession worse than anyone else in the conference, which, you know, it's, it's kind of hard when I look and I see the Cougars at 1.05 on offense, which is, you know, the same as Washington, the same as Oregon, better than Colorado, and yet the defense is so atrocious that um, they're actually right about where they should be, which is ninth place. But back to Oregon State, you know, that's that's a team that's giving up roughly as much as they're scoring, and their 1.08 points per possession is excellent, but they're but they're they're just not they they haven't shown a I guess an extended ability to stop anybody. Um, you know, they started the year in conference play dropping five of their first six. Um, most of those were sort of defensive atrocities. Mm, yeah. And then they were able to win a shootout with UCLA. And really they're only two, the only two games you could say where they've played well defensively in, in conference play have been the last two. Um, and, and I'm not even sure giving up, 0.89 to USC is really even all that good because USC's offense is just that bad. Yeah. Uh, so holding Oregon to 0.93 is is good, you know, and especially on the road. You know, I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna downplay it and say that that's not good. I mean, it certainly is, but I I, I need to see more before I feel like okay, the defense is what it is, and and uh, and and really they can they can hold if they can start holding people to around 1.0 or just above that, then yeah, they're probably going to be okay, and they can probably go on a run. But but I remain skeptical that they can do that. I remain skeptical of, of Craig Robinson's junk defenses, um, which to me work for a short time, but eventually get sliced up by anybody with half a brain. And and maybe and maybe putting a six ten guy at the top of that one three one is the solution. But um, you know, it's just I don't know. I just I it's hard to describe. But I just feel like whenever I watch Oregon State, I always just have this feeling that. 
you know, they should be getting more out of this team. They should be getting more out of these guys. You know, they should be, they, this team should be better. And, and I feel like I've felt like that for like two years now with the Beavers. And I don't know if I'm, I'm really, really trying to just kind of step back and take an objective look at these guys and try not to be, you know, influenced by sort of prior judgments. But I, I, you just, even with the eyeball test, I'm just kind of like, you know, I, I just feel like they should be getting more out of. It. They've just they've got such a collection of of athletes there outside of like Joe Burton, who's you know <laughs> a pretty good athlete for a guy his size. But you know, they they've got all these 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 long springy dudes, and and they just I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just overvaluing their guys. I, I'm not sure, but um, they could do. You know, they've got an opportunity here to do uh, to do some damage here. This weekend with uh, with games against uh, Colorado and Utah, um, even though those are on the road, you know Utah's a team they should beat. Colorado's a team they can beat. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. And then they play the Cougs um, at home, which is certainly a winnable game for them. So they, you know, it's not unrealistic to think they could be riding a, a three-game winning streak heading into what what seems like it could be a pretty big game at home against uh against the Huskies. Uh I don't know, is anybody do you do you see anybody in the bottom half of the conference that that could make a push north, you know, we're talking bottom half right now. You know, we're talking Oregon State who we just talked about, Washington State, Arizona State, USC, Utah, any of those teams sort of catch your fancy and and think that maybe they could um make a little bit of noise or 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 just even kind of give some people some hard times. No. Well, good. I don't. good. Um, well, I'm thanks. trying to. I'm trying to remember now what the uh, what's the what's the setup of the conference tournament again. Top four um, teams. Top four top teams four. advance to the the quarterfinals. Right. So, so all twelve teams make the tournament. Correct. And the top four teams. Right. 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 So you know, yeah, they're all going to get in the tournament. So that's basically their season. I would think. You know, Washington State took. Well, I don't know how you feel about Faisal Aiden being out for the season. I mean, he had that unbelievable game um, against. Who the heck was it they had an unbelievable game against? Cal? Uh, against Cal and against Stanford. Stanford yeah. was, the, was the really unbelievable. He had, you know, 33 points uh, on, yeah. I think, 17 shots or something like that. So Aiden had been, you know, sort of a whipping boy all year for Washington State fans because he shoots a lot and doesn't make many of those shots and turns the ball over a lot. But against Stanford and Cal, all of a sudden he scores a bunch of points, and now he's torn his MCL or ACL, MCL, yeah, ACL, yes, ACL, he and he's ACL. out. He's out for the season. Yeah, it was uh, deal. so that's gonna stink. Arizona State uh, just they just lost a bunch of players. They just they're they've got so many holes. They've got a shooting guard or maybe a three blank point. It's a problem. Utah has no players. USC has six scholarship players left. Uh, Deadman's now out for the year with a torn MCL. So they're just down to i mean it's they're playing walk-ons i mean it's brutal so yeah, yeah i would say no to all that <laughs> what do you think well it's like arizona state and usc are in a race to see who can play the fewest scholarship players yeah um i think arizona state was down to seven now that'll change when uh, when trent lockett comes back but um yeah they were down they they beat washington state with seven scholarship players yes they did and uh <laughs> and uh usc yeah, is is just terrible the cougars you know Faisal Aiden is kind of a man it's it's kind of a from a purely objective standpoint, it's kind of a bittersweet thing in the sense that, you know, yes, he's a guy that I have um, over at my over at my site, kookcenter.com, have, have kind of taken to task from time to time, including a 3,000-word takedown of why him playing as much as he was was killing the team, um, which, <laughs> you know, was – it wasn't – 
it, yeah, it was not meant as a you suck kind of thing. It was more of a hey coach, have a clue kind of deal. And and then, you know, you know, a couple weeks later, a few weeks later, he uh you know, comes out against Stanford and 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 Cal and then basically all of a sudden just decides, "Hey, I'm going to go to the rim all the time. And I'm not going to and I'm not going to shoot jumpers. I'm not well, he shot a few jumpers, but he's like, I'm not going to in in for those who aren't familiar with Faze Layden's game, you know, it's a guy who shot a ton of threes and only marginally well. And then um, you know, would, would say he's just a score first guard and and when the ball hits his hands, he's a black hole. And he would just whatever he needed to do to squeeze off a shot is what he would do. And it didn't matter how difficult the shot was. You know, if it was a three or a pull up jumper or a floater in the lane, he just it didn't matter and and the results were pretty terrible most of the time. Against Cal and Stanford, all of a sudden he just decided, Hey, I'm going to the rim and he got to the rim all the time, which is why he scored fifty I think fifty seven points on twenty nine shots in those two games, which was just absurd. And he's a guy I think who had shot like I want to say like 20 free throws all year or 30 free throws all year and he shot like 20 free throws in those two games, which was pretty wild. And so so we're all thinking, okay, well, this is a guy who is turning a corner and he's kind of figured it out and he's I mean, he's talking in the media about, yeah, you know, I just you know I feel like I can get to the rim and all of a sudden we're like, okay, well, maybe, you know, maybe this guy can come around. Maybe he can lead us a little bit and then, uh, and then against Arizona, he uh, is driving in and his knee buckles on a non-contact deal and, and those are almost never – good when a guy's knee buckles on a non-contact thing and uh, at, the, at the time it was initially diagnosed as a sprained MCL which is the ligament on the inside of your knee well it turns out somehow some way when his knee buckled in and sprained the inside of his knee it actually tore the ligament on the outside of his knee which was sort of strange but he's now out for the year and and so uh, more of the Cougar offense falls on Brock Modem who I, I feel like is probably the most underrated player in the conference at this point because WSU has been kind of so bad, but um, he he is as skilled of a big man as there is in this conference, and and uh, you know his defense isn't great. He doesn't block shots or anything like that for a guy who's six ten. But um, he he really is skilled, and and he's a guy who I think will probably make the uh, the all conference first team if if for no other reason than really he's going to score a ton of points because WSU really just doesn't have anybody else who, who's yeah. going to carry that scoring load. So I'm with you. You know I don't I don't see the Cougars making a push. Um, their defense is just is just not that good. And, you know, I, I don't know. Um, one interesting team we haven't talked about really at all. We haven't talked really much about Oregon or about Stanford. Um, I don't know, you know, how much thoughts you have, how many thoughts you have on either of them. Um, Oregon, you know, is, is sitting at six and three. They're only a game out, but is another one of those teams where efficiency margins suggest that, you know, perhaps they're, they're maybe playing a little above their heads. They're only at plus 0.02. Um, Stanford at five and four, they're at minus 0.02. Basically, those margins suggest that these are essentially 500 teams and you know Stanford seem, seems to kind of be playing to that do, do you foresee Oregon playing to that or do you see Oregon as a team that that perhaps could improve down these these final nine games I mean uh, you know Joseph looked really really good against Oregon State and he's sort of I guess taken over as their um, as their main offensive threat um, uh, you know he's a good outside shooter or he's strong enough to get to the rim um, uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, they're just, they just do sort of seem kind of like an average team pretty much. I mean, they could, they could stand to get some more shooting from some of their other players and that really hasn't, 
I don't know, it doesn't feel like it's really panned out to me. Um, you know, Sim, uh, I mean, you know, he's a good, he's a good shooter, but he hasn't, you know, he's not, he's not really, well, he's shooting 45% from three, so there's nothing to, that's nothing to sniff at. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. They, they, it just doesn't seem like they, they've had three. They've had three home. They've had third and one of those teams was five home and three, four road games, and they've gone three and one on the road. But uh, I don't know how how sustainable that is. And then the fact that they've only got four home games left, um, I think that kind of puts them in a tough position. Yeah, and they do have to play uh, Cal on the road, Stanford on the road, Oregon State on the road, Colorado on the road. Um, yeah, you know th- that could be sort of a stretch where. Um, or maybe they're, they're exposed a little bit, but you know, it's, who knows? I mean, they, they, they have one, you know, to their credit, they won a couple of close games. Uh, they beat Arizona on the road, you know, by a couple of points and, uh, beat USC at home by a couple of points before uh, a pretty good win against UCLA. And then the close loss to, to Oregon State, you know, it's w- when you kind of play, you know, they, they, they seem to kind of be on the wrong end of blowouts. And, and I also think that, you know, somewhat, if you take out that, absolute annihilation of the Cougars to open the Pac-12 season, their efficiency margin looks kind of even worse, mm. you know, after, after with losses to Washington Cal, um, not being sort of very close games. So I don't know. It'll be, they'll, they will be an interesting one to watch in Stanford. I, I, yeah. After watching them play in conference, they really, they, they kind of smack of a, of a 500 team. Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, they just, they just struggle to score so much. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, they don't really have any kind of post presence at all. I mean, Josh Owen sometimes can try to score inside, but it's not really his game exactly. So, you know, Dwight Powell's been such a disappointment. He just looks lost and confused. He gets in the court, he fouls people, he comes off, he gets talked to by the coach. Like, he's, you know, he should be a good player. He looks like a good player, but he's kind of not a good player. So, um, and they're, you know, sort of inside tandem of Trotter and Zimmerman is really substandard. So, um, so yeah, uh, they, Nastich has kind of stepped up and played a little more. Who's a, who's a like freshman big man. Um, he was playing a lot in the couple of games that I saw, but, um, yeah, I just think that they, there's, you know, Cal was able to just basically stop them from doing anything on offense for like 15 minutes. And, and I think that's just, just a problem that they, I don't think they can overcome. The interesting thing to me about the Cardinals is that they haven't defended better in conference. Um, mm. they, they've given up 1.02 points per possession, which is seventh in the conference, but they are rated 40th nationally by Ken Pomeroy's adjusted defensive efficiency, which, you know, is, is, might sound like, well, that's crazy. What's wrong with Pomeroy? Um, but, it, you know, you do see this from time to time where a team plays non-conference, plays a pretty weak non-conference schedule as, uh, as, as Stanford did. And they they physically overwhelm weaker opponents in the non-conference, and so they can kind of artificially inflate a little bit the numbers because, or, or deflate in this case because of because it's defense. But you know, kind of artificially push it one direction or another because you've got a situation where um, you know they they are playing the same defense, but they are able to hold because of their physical advantage. They are able to hold a bad team down better than a team that's maybe similarly talented. If that makes any sense, yeah. And so, 
you know, you've got the situation where they're really not defending well in conference at all. Um, they, they, the big thing is they give up a ton of free throws, a ton of free throws. They are last in the conference in free throw rate, which is your free throw attempts divided by field goal attempts. So the ratio at which your opponents are, are shooting free throws and field goals. And, uh, they, 41 and a half percent for, so in other words, for every 100, Field goal attempts. The other team is shooting 41-ish free throws, and that's that is really that is not a key to success um, as a defense when you're putting putting the other team on on the line that much. But you know the the truth is they haven't really defended shooting that well either. Um, you know they're middle of the road in three point percentage and two point percentage against. So um, when you combine that with an offense that really struggles to shoot. Um, they're ranked tenth and ninth, respectively, in the conference in three-point percentage and two-point percentage. They're, yeah, you're going to struggle. You're going to have a hard time. And and in this conference, I really, I guess, I really expected more out of their defense in this conference, um, given that it's not the greatest conference. In case you haven't heard, um, <laughs> I just thought that, that that I would get more out of that. Um, as we wrap up here, maybe let's uh, let's finish up by by just saying okay you know maybe a little prediction time um who do you predict is going to win the conference for me it's cal i think that i think that cal you know they don't they they don't overly imp- i mean you don't look at them and go wow that's an impressive team but at the same time you know you talked earlier in the podcast about how they're a veteran squad and to me that sort of just says they they screw up less than everybody else which really could be the difference for me so that's my team who's your team down the stretch that you think is 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 going to maybe win it you know i think if you had to absolutely if I absolutely had to choose with a gun to my head, I think I would have to say Cal too, just for the reasons you just cited. I mean, they're, you know, there's nothing spectacular about them, but they're, you know, they're so well coached. They don't, like you said, they don't screw up. They just, they, I, you know, I, I expect them fully to beat, you know, all the teams, most of the, probably every team that they play. I mean, maybe they'll lose to Arizona. Maybe they'll lose to, you know, UCLA on the road, but I think they're going to beat the rest of those teams. And, um, but, you know, I mean, I think, you know, I, I think a lot of teams, I think there's still, you know, a chance for, you know, a few of these teams at least to, to sneak in there. But, yeah, I think I would probably say Cal. Here's a question. Yeah. Uh, at the midpoint and at the, I mean, and then predicting for the for the end of the season, who the heck is the conference player of the year? That's uh, that's an excellent question there, uh, I mean, Cunningham. <laughs> Leads the league. You know, I think if you if you had to pick now, yeah, Cunningham leads the league in you know has the most is highest points in the league, which is you know often like a stem thing to go off of. But it's also often the fact that a team that's not very good is not likely to get um, you know they're a player conference player of the year unless he really goes crazy. And I wouldn't say Cunningham's done that. Modem is second, and I don't think anyone thinks he's going to be Commerce Player of the Year. Although, like, point, like you point out, he's making a good case for being. Uh, although, who knows if he just takes all these shots and he ends up averaging 25 points a game? Who knows? Other than that, I mean, I think it's probably Roten or, you know, Alan Crabb ranks high, but I think everyone feels like Gutierrez is kind of like the leader of that team. I think yeah. you'd probably have to say Roten or Gutierrez, and I've just knowing the Pac-10 coaches. I'm sure they would pick Gutierrez over Rudin. Yeah, and I think that that's that'd be my guess. It would be would be Gutierrez. I think this is going to be a year like a couple of years ago where, uh, you know, because there's no I guess super standout player, um, 
you know, they, they'll probably default to the to the best player on the best team, and, yeah. and that's pretty clearly Gutierrez at this point. I mean, he's not he never lights up the scoreboard with with a lot of points, but he does. You know, we, we've kind of talked about this before, but he does so many things so well. Um, you know, he does score from time to time. He's efficient when he does it. Um, he rebounds. He he passes. He defends, which uh, you know is is always something that that is you know, good to have. And, um, you know, I mean, even that game against Washington that they won up here, we didn't get a chance to talk about this, but he defended Roten early in the game and completely took him out of the game by taking two charges, took away his left-hand dribble, which, you know, anybody who watches him knows that he's left-handed and favors his left hand. Yeah. Two times he kind of dribbled hard to the – he has this kind of move where he'll he'll come off a, a pick or he'll, he'll just sort of isolate on the wing and then take a hard dribble to his left before cutting straight to the basket. And, yeah. and Gutierrez just like – saw something on film, beat him to the spot twice, drew two charges early in the game, and kind of that was that. And it was um, it was impressive, and you know you kind of sit there and go, well, how come other people don't do that? Well, you know, I mean, <laughs> you got to be able to pull it off, and Gutierrez is a guy who can pull that off. So yeah, I yeah. I think I'd say that probably you know if Cal ends up there, and you know, and you know as we're looking at Cal, you know potentially winning the conference. I mean, you know, you look at the two games they've lost. I mean. You know, they they both were close games, and in the game against WSU, they very easily could have won. Um, the Cougs were probably a little lucky that, that that game turned out the way it did, and and so you know they could very easily be sitting at eight and one right now without without too much of a of a stretch of the imagination. So yeah, I think uh, I think they kind of they got they've got the best leader I think in the conference, and and they've they've they just sort of screw up the least and if Alan Crabb really starts to turn it on in the second half as he did last year they could you know I could see a scenario where maybe they run away with this thing um just a little bit so any final thoughts there partner uh yeah I mean other than to say I would say you know Cunningham probably if OSU can can pile up some wins here um and probably if they have to do that Cunningham will have to score a lot um I think he is probably the he or or uh, or Gutierrez, or possibly also Roten, um, are probably the I would say probably the only three guys that are could win conference player of the year at this point. But I agree with you. I think probably Gutierrez in the end will win it. A because the coaches are voting and they value things like taking charges, um, and and um, and because Cal's probably going to win the conference. And Moxie, you cannot forget. And Moxie, and yeah, and like you know, and like fiery veteran leadership, <laughs> etc. So that's right. Can't overvalue leadership. Yes, no, sir. And overvalue leadership. Well, hey, bud, it was fun. Get back on the horse here and, uh, yep. and uh, talk about it. We'll uh, be back next week to talk about the start of the second half of the season. And, uh, you know, it's going to be about that time to start talking about NCAA stuff, even though it's it might be quite a long shot for some teams. I think uh, we'll start getting some clarity over the next couple of weeks as to whether anybody really, really, really has – a legitimate shot at making a case for an at-large bid. So on behalf of my partner, Seth, I am Jeff. Thank you for joining us on 18 in Life, the Pac-12 Hoops podcast. We will talk to you next week.